When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. You're listening to From the Chair, and I'm your host, Mike Hamilton. Join us each episode as we talk to athletic directors from across America. We're going to talk about topics like leadership, career development, issues of the day, and I can promise you we're going to have some fun along the way, too. So sit back, listen in, and let's dive in. Let's go. All right. Welcome to today's episode. Honored to have Scott Barnes, the athletic director at Oregon State University with us. Scott, thanks for joining me. Mike, it's great to be with you virtually, but I uh, look forward to being with you in person at some time in the near future. I know we're going to be doing that soon. And that's one of the great things about this pandemic, sort of finally rolling into a place where we can all get out and see folks is, is re, regenerating uh, relationships and, and visiting with people again. And just as you've had fans in your stands this fall, I know it's exciting to, to visit with people face to face and not just in a box. Right. So we'll look forward to seeing you soon on that front. No doubt. Um, Hey, I want to. I've got several things that, that I want to visit with you about, and uh, there's there's several things that I think that are interesting about your time as an athletic director, and you know we'll we'll sort of play off that and see where it takes us, if you will, as as most of these interviews uh, lend itself to that. And I really really want to start was was just uh, from a career standpoint, your AD track, because I think it's it's interesting that if my if math serves me correct, and I can count, I think you've been an athletic director now at five different institutions. Is that correct? Yes, I think. <laughs> I haven't counted lately. Yeah, I think you yeah. got it. 
So five very different places, uh, Humboldt State, Eastern Washington, Utah State, Pittsburgh, and now obviously Oregon State. And, you know, there are many different ways to ascend in the chair. And some folks work at one place the entire time. Some folks do a couple different places and they're learning experiences along the way. I don't think there's a, you know, a, a route that you say, hey, it has to happen this way. My, my question just to sort of get us rolling is, you know, when you look back on your career at five, five very different places, different areas of the country, um, some takeaways from just, you know, as you reflect back, the things that you learned along the way from being at different places. And maybe here's what I guess I would I would ultimately want you to talk about. And that's the common themes that you believe are inherent to success, even though you've been at different size institutions, different conferences, et cetera. Um, let's learn from your experience at, at those five different places. Mike, a great question. A lot, lots to unpack. You know, I, I sort of took a, what I refer to as an arduous path to the Power Five AD chair. And I remember I was out at Iowa State as a, a fundraiser and overseeing some of the externals and working for Gene Smith, uh, certainly one of my mentors in my career, and had a chance, uh, just had our firstborn and had a chance to um, get back west with a Division II AD job. And, and it wasn't something that uh, some of my mentors thought were, were going to be uh, the, the best, uh, best, best, best plan of attack. But it put us in between two sets of grandparents. It, it uh, gave me a chance. I think I was about 34 to, to cut my teeth as an AD for the first time. And, and uh, we did that uh, for two years. I remember some of, the, some of my mentors saying, hey, you can't be there long. I didn't go there with that mindset. I went there to try to make a difference. Um, and then we, you know, we climbed from there, Eastern Washington, a Division One job in, in my hometown of Spokane, near it, uh, no brainer, and, and near my parents. But uh, a lot of my moves have been uh, sort of career path oriented, but certainly thinking about family as well and, and tying those together. I, th I think a common thread that, that I've been super blessed with is, is great relationships with the presidents that I've served with. And, and that partnership uh, has been instrumental. And, and as I think about that and, and what I've learned from, from, you know, early on, Ted Leland, who hired me at Pacific and Gene Smith later at, at Iowa State, and then even Todd Turner late in my career before my first group of 580 job, uh, you know, that th those partnerships on campus, uh, obviously with your president, but uh, how powerful it is to walk into a uh, a room hand by uh, arm arm in arm with the vice president for finance or student affairs or any any one of your other key partners on your campus to help uh, impact change and 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 you know we're always talking about in athletics about things that uh, have risk and and are sometimes challenging um, the higher ed uh, sort of model because we have a, a business component to what we do so those partnerships I think. And that, that relationship with the president, um, every step, uh, everywhere I've been, and I've been blessed to have great ones and, and, and those that I've learned from and, and, and been able to work with. But uh, those, those campus partnerships become critical, particularly in times like this where, um, you know, you're navigating so many issues at, at once. Yeah. So I want to I want to dive in a little bit more on the presidential question for just a second, because I, I'm, I fully resonate with that. You know, I had five presidents in eight years during my time at Tennessee and and, um, you know, 
the, the alignment becomes so critical to your success as an athletic director because it drives the messaging on campus and how folks cooperate or not and that kind of thing. So, we, you know, when we're in an interview process, Scott, and we're all, you know, more than likely if we're in the process, we're wanting the job, right? Um, and you're trying to let folks see who you are. But part of this is also that you need to be feeling out the institution, which you probably have done background research when you've gone into an interview process. But then when you get to the opportunity to engage a president, since you have brought that up as being a critical piece of this, as an athletic director, what do you look for when you say, is there proper alignment on campus? And is this the right president that I would want to be working with? Yeah, I think it starts with a with a understanding of that that individual's leadership uh, style and um, the vision they've cast, um, the team they've built around them um, are are all important parts to that. And and you know the the athletic piece and how involved they are is important as well. Now, presidents can be too involved and and or not involved enough and and. Understanding um, their vision for athletics, you know, for me, uh, we 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 believe wholeheartedly that that uh, uh, an athletic program at this level serves to drive the mission of advancing the university, and and uh, um, I want a president to believe that there is a role and an integral role for a Power Five athletic program in advancing the mission of the university. And that they're all in on that. Um, certainly, there's nuances to what that looks like, but overall, uh, winning championships and graduating our student athletes, and and being, frankly, the overused statement, but being the front porch, and and that front porch serving as an opportunity to invite all sorts of uh, stakeholders to your university through that athletic door to introduce them to all parts of campus, not just athletics, and. Those are the things that, that we talk about and, and uh, I, want, I want to understand and I want clarity on when I'm, when I'm talking about uh, working with the president. Yeah, yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, you've got a new president, right? Is that correct now? We, I have had here, we, uh, Ed Ray, who hired me, retired after a distinguished career, 17 years. Um, then we had an acting uh, and then we had an a interim so I, I'm on four presidents since I've been here and uh, uh, one in between that, that uh, uh, just wasn't here long. So reality is we're searching now and hope to hire a new president next summer. So I will be going through this process yet again, Mike, and, and uh, looking forward to, again, start establishing that relationship. And, and I think all that we do, and it's not, it's not just the idea, it's my staff all rowing the boat the same direction on our collaboration and our partnerships on campus. When that new leader comes to campus and they understand how uh, effective we have been in, in building those relationships and partnerships, it goes a long ways. Yeah, well, they'll be fortunate to have you alongside them as a, a leadership partner on campus when that, that transpires, I'm certain. You know, so when looking at the, the track record of the school, Scott, one of the things I picked up on was when you were at Utah State, you guys actually won an award for, and I, I may screw this up a little bit in how I say it, but basically winning the most championships with the smallest budget, I guess is the, is the easiest way to say it for purposes of our conversation. Uh, and and what, what I'm drawn to in, in seeing that is this, there are so many schools that feel like they have to enter the rat race uh, to spend more money, to generate more revenue. And we all, that is part of the game, true 
for sure. But but there's also such thing as hiring the right coaches, giving the right kind of support, creating the right kind of culture to to still expect championships, even if the budget doesn't necessarily match some other schools in your league or in your region or whatever. And so I really wanted to hear your sort of your philosophy on that part of the discussion. And if if that if I'm what I'm saying is resonating with you at all. Yeah, no, Mike, great, great question. And yeah, that that award was based on sort of, uh, uh, you know, having one of the smallest budgets and, 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 and doing well with that. And if you look at it across my career in the five places I've been, you know, the one one other common thread is that, you know, been at places where we've had a punch above our weight. And, and, uh, you know, there's a pride taken in that. But I'll tell you, when, when we won that first uh, award at Utah State, uh, the one thing I told my staff is that I wanted to move to a different weight class. <laughs> that it was great punching above my weight, but we needed to, in our weight, but we needed to grow our, our budget to be to be more competitive. And yet, there's a balance there. And I think the lesson is in in, in that look, we we can uh, we shouldn't let um, dollars or or circumstances out of our control dictate our our ability to succeed and in. in the graduation of our student athletes, their experience and winning championships. And it is about a plan uh, and it is about plugging the right people in from who you hire around you and your executive team leadership to the coaches and the profile of the coaches you're looking for, for your, your unique place. And uh, we've been very fortunate to hire some excellent coaches here at Oregon state. And, and we, we've done so in, in other stops, including Utah state. Um, and and uh, part of that is a fit that look we're about uh, we're about grinding it out. Uh, we do take pride in, in the, the blue collar aspect of what we do, but we are also um, about being excellent and finding that coach that has a mentality that says, look, I'm not going to look around at all of the things I don't have to succeed, but rather I'm going to look. Uh, for number one, a partnership, and I always ask and, and, and talk to coaches about uh, being a partner. I want to I want to partner in this, and 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 then building this together, and, and being on the same page, and 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 selecting priorities that really move the needle, and not getting caught up, Mike, in just the 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 flavor of the day in terms of what's being spent uh, nationwide. But what we're unique. We have a, a unique set of circumstances here. Um, what are what are our priorities and how do we how do we chip away at those uh, and, and in the process be excellent at what we're doing? And, and you know, we're fortunate. It, it does take uh, excellent leadership in, in the coaches that we hire that are, are great, a great fit for this this unique uh, special place and uh, uh, then supporting them um, and, and not getting caught up in, in in things we'll never have. You know, we'll never close a gap with. Uh, the top five budgets in America, that doesn't mean we can't compete with them. Right. Yeah, that's great. So um, one of the, the jobs or opportunities you've had in your in your career as athletic director, Scott, has been to chair the NCAA basketball committee. And I, I think, you know, certainly this, the CFP committee has gained some stature over the last few years. But but historically speaking, the NCAA basketball committee has has been sort of a capstone role that most athletic directors want to participate in at some time during their career. Um, and 
that's a that's a slippery slope. And I think for those who I know who have actually served on the committee in that, while there is prestige involved in that and there's honor in that, and it's a significant piece of the NCAA process, it's also a very difficult role. And then further, you chaired the committee at uh, during your time there and to sit there on a Sunday and and uh, take the questions fired at you by CBS and, and others, I know is, is sometimes uh, uh, maybe fun and maybe sometimes not as fun, right? So for those who, are, a lot of folks who listen to this podcast are younger folks in the industry, um, but also those who uh, are really in AD chairs, but maybe have not had some of the chances that you've had so far. And I'm interested for you to sort of pull back the curtain and tell a little bit about what it was like to serve on the basketball committee for those four or five years and chair the committee, not only as an honor, but also the things that you experienced and learned through that process. You know, Mike, it, it was a, a, an absolute honor and, and, and to chair my last year, uh, what was tremendous It's one of those, you know, five, five years, uh, five year commitment. One, uh, one former chair sort of did a, a little bit of math on the back of a napkin once and said that, that five-year term uh, of service equated to one full year of your life in terms of the hours that you put in uh, to being in that. And so, you know, one of the things that was really important and, and really appreciate about uh, Danny Gavitt and, and the NCAA championship group was how, how they how they took care of our families because we're gone so long. So I, you know, my, my son um, was a ball boy for the five years at the final four, uh, during my time, my daughter was always there. They kind of grew up, uh, in those five years, uh, at final fours, uh, with me and around me. And obviously a lot of meetings in between that we were, we were gone to, but I think, you know, the, the thing I learned early in my career, and I, I, I learned it best from Gene Smith, who really is what I call a citizen of the industry, who. Uh, is involved in every many aspects of leadership in our industry and, um, you know, giving back and, and wanting to, to help lead and, and um, improve, uh, you know, if we can in, in our own our own way, um, uh, the industry, in this case, basketball, men's basketball, which as a former college player was really near and dear to my heart as well. So the, the opportunity to help uh, impact uh, positive change in that five years and give give yourself to uh, the industry um, was was uh, really really rewarding a lot a lot of work a lot of hours and then certainly the relationships as you can imagine the time we spend in the room together um, uh, um, getting to know the families of the committee members and the committee members um, uh, who are our dear friends for life after that time together right so um, really uh, you know important work and was was honored to be part of that work and, and, uh, you know, still have a connection to that as a committee alum now and, and going back and participating in some meetings during the final four every year. That's great. Well, that's a uh, kudos for having done that. I'm, I'm going to stay on the theme of basketball for a second. You know, uh, I can't talk to the Oregon state athletic director without talking to you about the run that your team made in postseason last year, because it was, it was quite phenomenal and obviously got a lot of national attention you know, if I recall correctly, you finished in somewhere in the middle of the pack in the Pac-12 regular season, but went on a run and won the Pac-12 championship for the first time in almost 30 years and then got in the NCAA tournament and went on a run there as well within uh, just a, a hair of being in the Final Four. So I'm curious, as a former basketball player and being around the team, was there a time late in the season 
maybe before you even got to the Pac-12 tournament where you saw something in the team that said, hey, these guys have got something there? Or was it the, you know, sort of the emotion, the energy of a postseason play actually happening and then catching the fire? Um, just talk a little bit about the 2021 basketball squad and, and that run at the end of the at the at the end of the year. Yeah, so unique. In fact, we were picked to finish last in the Pac-12 to start the preseason and and finish in the middle and then won the championship, as you said. I what a what a unique uh, experience being in the bubble to begin with, right? So unlike any other year, you know, we we left uh, the Pac-12 tournament and we're in in the bubble throughout. And I stayed in that bubble with the team, so I got a. a to a peek under the hood, maybe more than I would have uh, with with uh, other obligations um, outside the bubble, and at least for those first couple of weeks uh, before I went and saw our women play. Um, and you know the the thing about this is, you can say like you know there's a lightning in the bottle sort of aspect to this, but it, it that you don't catch that without a real strong foundation, Mike. And our our coaching staff had been building that. We we thought the year before uh, we thought we had a shot at uh, making a run in postseason and, and had started that process before the Pac-12 tournament canceled. So it was coming. Um, I, I think what, what we saw solidified, uh, what I saw solidified and, and uh, was privy to in the locker rooms after games, but saw it uh, mid to maybe two-thirds of the way through was this, this ability to um, – understand uh, and execute their, their individual roles. And as you know, uh, one of the most important aspects of being a, a really good coach is, is identifying and, and securing those roles that, that student athletes are willing to be buy in all in on. We, we uh, you know, protected defensively. We, we did really well. But the other thing that, that, that I saw in this group was this, uh, this undeniable joy in, in playing the game. In, in, in buying into their role and and then the selflessness that came with that uh, was was incredible and so you know we were we were uh, literally beating beating teams that had uh, another level of talent than we did but uh, that that selflessness and, and uh, role clarity were really key to this I think there's a foundation there uh, without question that's been being built for years um, and, and that allowed us to, sort of grab that lightning in the bottle and execute uh, into almost making the final four and, and really having a, a historic year and, and something to build on, something that uh, has already impacted um, our ability to recruit and, and uh, our, our brand really as a basketball program. Yeah, there's nothing like postseason basketball, particularly when you're making a run and you're in the middle of that and the energy around the team and right. so forth. It's pretty, pretty incredible. I, you know, coming out of that experience in Indianapolis, I'm, I'm curious your take on um, having been there during that time and you, you had the games in, in um, you know, up at Purdue and at IU and over at Hinkle Fieldhouse and others. And granted, there weren't the number of fans on site as there would be in a normal year. But did you not see – I felt like there was an incredible amount of uh, excitement around the fact that you could hop from one facility to another facility if you weren't associated with a particular school. And it, and it kind of spurred me to think about, gosh, could you ever do that where you played, you know, a Sweet 16, all the Sweet 16s in a city? Or I, it's going to be hard if you go to 64, 68 teams, right, because just hotel space. But I'm curious if you saw that as, as something that was, you know, something that needs to be sort of noodled on a little bit more or um, – 
No, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right, Mike. In fact, I, I talked with, with several committee members about about that energy, you know, putting COVID and all the restrictions aside, that that vibe of, of being in one city uh, was really something that I think we're all we're all thinking more about uh, long term. And is that really an approach that we might want to take down the road uh, in, in terms of the tournament? And, and there's a lot moving, a lot of moving parts right now from NCAA governance to to all the other issues that are out there. But as, as the dust settles and we look for the uh, the midterm to long, long term future, I think that has to be evaluated because there is a electricity, a vibrance in, 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 in efficiency and how all that was put together. Uh, kudos to the NSA and the men's basketball committee uh, for how they how they did that, because uh, it really was phenomenal and, and, and take away the isolation and the, the COVID aspect of it, uh, which was was a challenge, but they, they handled beautifully. Take that away. And you've got a really interesting, uh, I think, opportunity to continue to evaluate. Does that, does that decision, Scott, I know, there, I know there are a lot of moving parts, but you've been on the basketball committee, you're on the basketball oversight committee, obviously lead one ways in, NABC ways in, that kind of thing. Are, who's the, at the end of the day, what's the body that makes that kind of decision? Is it the basketball committee? Well, that'll be, yeah, it'll be in conjunction with, look at moving forward, we'll be uh, locking arms much close, more closely with the, the women's basketball committee and the women's basketball oversight committee joint meetings along the way. So these types of things will be talked about and with those groups ultimately decided uh, at the, at the board level and whatnot, but certainly uh, the um, creation and the development of the idea and, and what that looks like comes out of those committees and, and uh, moves forward from there. So, um, you know, the practitioners will be, be at it. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that this will be. I'm suggesting I like the idea that it would be uh, looked at as one opportunity for long-term play. Yeah. Well, the the good news is they're not going to make a decision based on you and I talking on this podcast today, right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. But at least uh, it's it's fun to sort of uh, speculate a little bit about what might be. Okay, let's turn to Oregon State football for a second. Two two pieces of of, uh, info I kind of want to dig into here a little bit. One is – you're undertaking a major renovation at Reeser Stadium, um, $150 million plus. A part of that is, I think, maybe some premium spaces improved upon, a, seat, a seating reduction, which is becoming more of the norm in, in today's environment. And, and then couple that with Jonathan Smith, who's one of your alums uh, coaching there and had success as a student athlete, and now he's back and seems to really be um, gaining momentum in terms of how he's, how he's turning the program around as well. Um, those two things can play together, right? I mean, when you're when you're doing renovation, you want to you want to be on an uptick in many ways. But curious uh, the genesis of the decision to do the renovation, and then maybe comment on just what it's been like to have an, uh, an Oregon State alum running the football program as you as you go through this time. Sure, Mike. No, you know th- this was uh, completing research is, is the name of the project, and, and we 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 remodeled the east side built the east side in 2005 and, and sort of left the west side uh, where it sits. And so we'll, it'll be a, a, a total demolition. Um, obviously, uh, uh, making this happen during COVID has been interesting. Uh, I'll tell you that 
in some ways, our fundraising has, has been enhanced because of the ability to connect with people uh, more quickly. Um, those those stakeholders that are near and dear to us that you know we didn't have a lot of relationship building with, but could connect with and 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 get through the uh, solicitation process. So, you know, we had an eighty-five million dollar philanthropical loan, um, and and that goal has been exceeded, and we've we've raised the bar to ninety, and we're almost going to hit ninety now very close to that. So really excited about the fundraising process. Um, this project uh, is very unique, Mike, in, in several ways. One is um, in, in spending what will be investing uh, up to $160 million in, in this project. We wanted year-round use. We wanted robust year-round use, not just game days. And so we have a wellness clinic that will serve all of our campus community health uh, and wellness for our students generally and our staff. And then a three-peat partnership with a local uh, health group that'll uh, create an urgent care clinic um, out of out of this uh, operation as well. Another component that's year-round is a welcome center for general student campus recruitment. Our current welcome center is about 150 square foot cubicle in, in our academic center for the university. So this is a, these two items along with additional conferencing space um, create some some unbelievable opportunities for this campus and community way beyond football Saturdays. The other couple other items that are unique, the financial uh, model for this, the leverage at 90 million in cash uh, creates in, in lowering that uh, annual uh, debt service, coupled with a myriad of new revenue streams, not only pays for this project, but but will create uh, two and a half million plus in, in new operating capital to our athletic department to fund all of our programs. So excited about that couple other items that are unique. One is that the premium seating will be as close to any, to the field as any in a power five. So just dramatic uh, views for premium. That's, uh, we're knocking the socks off that. We create a sales center um, at the start of football season in Gill Coliseum, our basketball venue, for patrons to come in and, and, and literally take a virtual view, sit in the exact seat they'll sit in and, and make a decision. And we have uh, sold out of our first uh, uh, inventory of, of top premium uh, already here, you know, uh, and, and we're not opening till 23. So really excited about that. Um, and then the open co concourse, we, we call it Beaver Street and affectionately named Beaver Street. It is a connection point between the north and south on the west side of our stadium, but it'll connect uh, the entire stadium, which we didn't have before. So 360 degree, but, but as importantly, that concourse is an open concept. So if you're walking down Beaver Street, you can grab your, be your your favorite beverage and food and be watching the game at the same time uh, under some cover. Uh, really just a tremendous concept. So really excited about the work that our uh, design build team has done. And uh, we'll start demolition uh, when we're playing the Ducks here Thanksgiving weekend. We'll start abatement and uh, demolition and, and be open in 23, summer of 23. So I'm curious. Um... Are you phasing it in such a way that you can do the construction in the off seasons so that it won't affect your 22 season or how's that going to play out? Unfortunately not. So we'll, we'll uh, be a bit of an unmitigated disaster in 22 and, and then we'll be, we'll be playing, uh, playing with a West side is completely down minus a new platform and, and some directed steel that we'll be able to put some of the game ops uh, components on in a, in a temporary fashion. We'll use the north, south, and east to accommodate all of our season ticket holders 
take one game to Portland, seven game schedule. So uh, a little relief in taking one to Portland. And that's what will, you know, we'll, we'll plan that, you know, every AD in the country understands that sometimes you've got to, you, you work through that and we've got a good plan to do that. So that's 2022 and then open summer 23 and ready to, ready to roll fall of 23. That's fantastic. Well, and I really like the fact you're utilizing it for more than just game day. I think that's that's the direction that we have to be thinking about in a lot of the renovation work in today's world, right? Multi-purpose, and you know, we're we're even ta- we're talking about in our business. You know, so many times folks have looked at what we do in the multimedia rights business as being a tentpole events around games, and the reality is, uh, fandom is uh, 365, right? And so, right. how do we engage fans uh, around the throughout the year? And what you're doing there is you're engaging your campus community throughout the year. So, so kudos uh, to you on that. Just a quick comment on Jonathan and the job he's doing there for you guys. Um, uh, you know, it's make, it's a yeah. sorry, Mike. No, go ahead. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, it's interesting. I. You know, just even talking about the stadium renovation, some of the um, promotional materials, you know, you go back in history and you share some of those, those highlights of history. You know, he was a, a legendary walk-on quarterback and won a Fiesta Bowl in, in the uh, 2001, uh, 2000 season, 2001 Fiesta Bowl. And uh, in some of the, the, those highlights and the, the, the footage that we have in some of our sales materials to talk Keith, Keith Jackson, the great Keith Jackson is covering, I think our U our win against USC that year and talks about Jonathan Smith as somebody that wants to be a head coach one day. And that uh, coaches like Erickson and Riley believe that he will be one day. This is 21 years ago and circle back now, 21 years later. And not only is he a head college coach uh, making his way and, it's got a really positive trajectory, but it's at his alma mater. And that that is unique, and it's really special. It's special for our fan base. It's special. You know, he really understands the, the vibe of this campus, the, what, what the qualities um, in, in terms of his, his uh, passion and, and conviction for recruiting to this special place. Uh, those are things you can't, you can't manufacture. And and he uh, he has it, and uh, we, he's put a great a great staff around him. So very very excited about Jonathan being at the helm helm in year four, and uh, making making progress, and and uh, the future is bright. That's awesome. Well, hey, look, there are a lot of things we can talk about business wise. I always like to end the conversation with just a couple of things to let folks get to know you personally. First thing I would ask you is, how old are your kids? First, by the way, you're talking about your kids a minute ago. Yeah, so Isaac is a senior entrepreneur major here at Oregon State. He was a walk-on basketball player here um, and and had three major surgeries on three different parts of his body. So he, he medically retired, but enjoyed enjoyed his experience as, as uh, enjoying his senior year in that in that capacity and, and, and being a, just a student and, and it's uh, it served him great. And then my, my daughter is uh, 25 and, and she is part-time music art major has had some medical issues about with Lyme disease and has, has fought her way through that to, to get back as a, was all state volleyball player, unbelievable talented uh, um, artist and, and, and piano player and working her way back. So those are my, those are my two kids. Awesome. What do you guys like to do as a family? If you can get away from the office for a few hours. Yeah. So Isaac and I typically take a trip every year, uh, fly at least one trip, fly fishing, and, and we'll do some bird hunting when we can. But uh, 
we, we took an epic trip this last summer to uh, Wyoming to do some, some fly fishing. It was wonderful. As a family, we, we like to get to the coast. Um, we've got a, a place about an hour and a half from Corvallis, right right on the Oregon coast. And uh, we like to, to use that uh, as our, our summer retreat, bringing friends and family through there all summer. And, and that's sort of how we spend the bulk of our summer other than some, some fly fishing in between. Um, Jody is not uh, 33 years of marriage. Uh, she and I met at Fresno State. She's a track athlete, a lot better athlete than I was. She is not yet warmed up to having that hook in the fish's mouth. Uh, so we, <laughs> Isaac and I try to, to work on her. Milana has and will, I think, again, uh, uh, partake in, in fly fishing. Um, but, uh, you know, being outdoors is, is great. Being at the at the beach house is awesome. And, uh, yeah, I love my family. You know, a lot of decisions I've made in my career, Mike, have been around family. And, and it sort of created a, a bit of an arduous path that I mentioned uh, to here. But it, it all it all works. And it's, uh, it's it's been awesome. Well, you know, I've always said, you know, athletics is the career where you can have your kids around you some, which is which is a benefit, particularly given the amount of time. I, one time I was in an event in uh, uh, our skybox is at Tennessee and I got off the elevator and they had the name tags laid out and and I was looking for my name tag and I didn't have a name tag. And, and uh, they and they said, well, you don't need a name tag. You're the athletic director. And I said, no, I need a name tag in case my kids show up. Right. <laughs> so that they don't know who I am. But uh, it is a, it is a career that our families can be around. And, and there's uh, there's some joy in that. And when, when you and I get together again, I want to talk a little bit more uh, with you about your fly fishing and your your bird hunting experiences. And uh, I, I, you've been kind to give me your time today. Uh, I appreciate so much the uh, the opportunity to engage with you on a few topics here. There's a lot more that we could we could cover, obviously, but we also will be respectful of the time we've had together. So I, I appreciate you joining me, Scott. Oh no, thank you. And uh, lots going on in college athletics right now. So the more we can all connect and talk about the the issues uh, moving forward, the better off we'll be. And thanks for your time, Mike. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. So you've been listening to Scott Barnes, the athletic director at Oregon State University, one of the guys who's been around a long time and knows this business well. I'm Mike Hamilton. I'm your host from the chair. We hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you and have a good day.